Hi there, church family. It's good to be with you today, doing our sermon recap this morning, covering what we preached on yesterday during our service. Hopefully you were here to to hear that. If not, uh, this hopefully will help you some, uh, but give you some more stuff to dive into and to think about. We've been doing a sermon series on God's generosity, uh, thinking about that. And now we start to enter, well, Pastor Scott kind of did last week, entering in a time of if God has been generous to us in creation and through Christ, and we see all these things that we've been given in Christ, what does that then uh, mean for us? And what we see scripturally is God does have ways for us to live. They, we, we see that with the commands in the in the New Testament saying, you know, across the board, like, like Pastor Scott looked at with the family. And we can go to passages about the family with husbands and wives and children and how we're supposed to uh, deal with them and, and have these relationships, which are which are good things, and then uh, my focus this week was on the church, how we gather as the church, and what that means to be generous as church members and kind and compassionate and loving to each other. Uh, and then we'll also be looking at uh, in society and vocation specifically uh, of how we as Christians can be generous uh, to others, and that God uses that often uh, to allow us to share the gospel with them or or even just to be kind, to show them the love of God. And and so, uh, like I said, we're kind of getting to these commands, these ways to live. And it's also still important to know that we don't do this to earn salvation. We don't do this to earn grace. These This flows from that. Uh, we have received grace. We received forgiveness. And out of that, we want to honor God with our lives. And so God thankfully gives us ways that we can honor him uh, and ways to do that. And it does look different for everybody, as we talked about a little bit yesterday, and maybe we'll talk about more in this podcast together, in this review together. Um, but my task was to look at the church. Now, it's probably going to be two sermons. I had one sermon, but turned it into uh, two there on the fly, uh, which made it feel a little disjointed to me. But nonetheless, we got through some of it. Uh, but looking at this idea that, and this comes out in a couple different books that I've, I've been reading and that we've been using in this series, uh, but the fact that the way that God blesses, the way that God works in the life of the church is through the church members, through us as Christians serving each other and, and honoring each other. And so uh, Gene Veith in his book, what's the name of that book? Got It Work. Got It Work, yeah. Got It Work. He, he, the way he said it, which was helpful to me because it, it dumbed it down for me, which was helpful, is he said, um, when, when the lady at church makes you lunch, God just served you lunch, right? When uh, when your church is clean, God cleans your church, right? When uh, when the pastor is preaching, God is speaking to you. And this is how God ministers. These are the means by which he chooses to bless and to work. And, and now we don't want to set aside, and I didn't mention this much in the sermon, but there is truth to the fact that, let's say, I do believe that God can do miracles, that God can heal, and God can restore in certain times. And so I'm sure there are people who have dumbfounded doctors at times because they had cancer, they come back in, it's like, hey, your, your cancer's gone. I don't know why. I think God can do that. But what we see most of the time is God using means to bless us. And we'll talk more about outside of the church in a couple of weeks, uh, like with doctors, with the fast food person giving you your food, uh, whatever. We can, we, we can talk about all that, how God will bless us through those means as well. Uh, but specifically looking at the at the church and how that is that is different as, as Christians we are spirit filled uh, 
believers, and God uses us to minister to each other and even the opportunity to minister outside of the walls of the church, to minister to the to the community. And so the first thing that we discussed and talked about was something that was very important during the Reformation, and this is a return to the priesthood of all believers. Uh, we, we see this in First Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 4 through 5 where Peter would write, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so, like I said, this uh, really we see coming out of the out of the Reformation because uh, Luther had, a, had an issue with how the church, how the church was working and how the church was going uh, because... There, there seemed to be a separation between holy work, and maybe you guys can help me if you know history a little more, holy work versus um, temporal work or profane work. And so the holy work was done by the priests, the pope, the cardinals, these people within the church. They had the word of God. They determined what it said. And there really was a barrier then between them and everybody else. And so if you were a farmer, if you you know did whatever task in, the, in life, that was wasn't holy that it almost kind of gnostic like that's fleshly that's not good what we're doing over here though is the priest and everything this is this is good and there was just this big separation there and the way luther saw it though scripturally is he was saying this isn't in scripture anywhere what he sees is things like in in peter and the other passage that we're going to read where it seems as if as a believer you receive the holy spirit jesus is the high priest who came uh, suffered, can understand us perfectly, died once and for all. And in the book of Hebrews says he is the high priest that lives forever in, um, in the order of Melchizedek. So there's no need for a high priest. And and now when Peter is talking, it says we're all being made into priests. We are priests who can offer sacrifices to God daily. And so this barrier of this priesthood seemed to be washed away. And so Luther would argue for this priesthood of all believers, which was very important for Protestants, uh, which would which would happen throughout the, the centuries, um, which I agree with. But do you guys have anything to say about that before I go into maybe how this has been an overcorrection? Because I talked about that a little bit so far with the priesthood of believers. Guys, I'm on tap what I'm throwing out there right now. Yeah, no, I think it's it's helpful because that means we can all wear clergy collars now. Yeah, go ahead. Everybody in the church can. Or we don't have so, to. Or we don't have to. But I, mean, I think it would be kind of cool, make a statement one day if everybody... Do they have to be white? Can we <clears> do <throat> like a design, a, a fashion design? We can probably do some kind of design. That might be, that might be a moneymaker right there. Be a logo, yeah, moneymaker. Um, Could have like camo ones. Yeah, for the hunters camo with the or the church logo on there as <laughs> in well. In black, though, you need it in black so it yeah. doesn't stand out so much. So something to consider. Yeah, we can consider that and think about that. That's helpful. <laughs> or rainbows. <laughs> Scott found some with you were rainbows. Mm. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, there's one. That's even wow. better. I saw wow. a bumper sticker with that the so other day. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thank Scott's you for that, Scott. Showing us <laughs> rainbow, so you can imagine what that was for. God, God's promise, right? Yeah, it was. <laughs> I don't know if it was Noah. They are big fans of the Noah. <laughs> um, but what what has happened? And this came from an article that I read. Oh, I got the guy's name. Uh, Griffith. Ryan Griffith. Um, this was in, on Desiring God's website. But he had wrote an article on the priesthood of all believers and had some quotes from Luther that he kept like expanding on the quotes. You'd only get part of it, part of it. Um, 
but Luther was saying when he was when he was fighting for the priesthood of all believers, he was afraid a little bit of an overcorrection. And he had a he had a quote, I don't have it on here, but there was a quote in the article from Luther that said something like <clears throat> Something about men getting up on the saddle, but they can fall off on both sides. Mm-hmm. And, and it keeps happening. You know, he falls off on this side. You go to pick him up, put him back on the saddle. He falls off on the other now side. For Scott, that's a horse reference. Saddles go on horses, and so you ah. could fall off either I they way. Were zebras. Yeah, just you so it was aware. what? Zebras. So just, so, just for Scott, so he okay. knows what that, was what that analogy is about. Yes. So what the article was kind of pointing at was that what has happened during our modern times and in America since the 1800s was is an overcorrection with this is protestants ran with this but he said the american church really ran with it to the point to where what this guy claimed was that our forefathers which i i i didn't study to know if this was true but that's what he was saying in the article was actually kind of pushing for the idea that we don't necessarily need the church because you kind of are the church yourself you are a priest you have the word of god you can determine what it is for yourself. And this was seen as a as an overcorrection. And, and the phrase that he used that I that I really like that stood out to me is he said, This this doctrine is the priesthood of all believers, not the priesthood of the believer. It's all of us together. And so this idea he actually called it egalitarianism, saying there are still roles and there are still function. There are still pastors, there are still teachers. And so there are our roles, but what it means is these roles aren't better than any other role. And we've kind of overcorrected to where we said pastors aren't important, teachers aren't important, church structure isn't important. I can just, you know what, I'm just going to do church myself in my home. It's just going to be me and a couple of my friends, and now we, we, are, we are declaring ourselves a church uh, as, because I am, I am a priest type of thing. And that's an overcorrection. That's not what the Bible is intending. That's, we, don't, we don't even see that scripturally. I think a lot of times we, we start to hear that and they say, well, we're going to get back to our New Testament roots, you know, where it's all home churches. And it's like, well, they did that out of necessity, first of all, <laughs> and they wanted to meet together. They, they were getting together and they did have, as Paul would say, there's pastors amongst you, there's teachers amongst you, there are roles and there are functions within this house church even. Uh, and it's important to understand that and to know that. Um, and so we have to be careful of this overcorrection to where we start to think, again, that we can be like a Lone Ranger Christian. That's not a biblical concept, right? It's the priesthood of all believers. And and when the Bible talks about the church, which we're going to see, it's always together. It's always people being involved. And the simple reason is I don't have all the skills, the talents, the gifts necessary to fulfill the calling of the church or even to help myself spiritually 100%. Now, don't get me wrong, and there are occasions I'm sure where this is necessary, right? In Botswana or something like that, where somebody is, I don't know, I'm just saying, you know, these different places. Yeah, I, I can understand that, and we could talk about that. But here and now, uh, with what we have, there there is a church set up that we see scripturally. And what Paul is getting at as he talks in Ephesians, as he talks in 1 Corinthians and other places as well, that what Christ does is Christ serves the church using the church, using the people in uh, in the church. And so we have to make sure that we use the means by which God has given us to to bless each other because that's God blessing us. Am I, am I making sense? Anything there mm-hmm. as that's I'm good. saying this? Mm-hmm. Good. Now, I did get on a hobby horse, and I don't mind us talking about it more because you guys can 
then uh, say I was wrong or whatever, which I'm fine with. Um, but a way that we see this play out in the church, and this bugs me big time, I hear it from people all the time, is this word callings. And they say things like, who are you to tell me what God is calling me to do? And I'm, <laughs> the response to me would be, uh, well, the Bible says actually the church would verify your calling. And if the church isn't verifying your calling, then it's not your calling. Mm-hmm. That will be pushed back so hard today from so many people. They would mm-hmm. say, no, no, absolutely, absolutely not. And the example I gave, um, and Dave, maybe you come across this as missions pastor, but mm-hmm. it always happens to me with people who are like, I'm going to missions. I'm like, yeah. okay. And I'm only going to these people. Okay. Uh, so you got to help me with it. And as you start to talk to that person, you start to say, well, here's some means by which God has given us to be able to go and serve others around the world. Me being a Southern Baptist, I would point them to the International Mission Board. I would point them to the schools that Southern Baptists have. Say, you can go into these programs, you can get to this, and then they will help you to determine where you're going to go. And the people are like, well, I already know where I want to go. I want to go to Vietnam or whatever. Say, well, that might be one of your options, but I can't guarantee you're going to go there. Every single time so far, they've said no. Mm -hmm. And they've went back to calling. And it's like, I think they have a bad misunderstanding of what calling is because when we look at Scripture, and I mentioned this, uh, Paul had a crazy calling from Jesus, but it was verified by the church. Before he went and did anything, the church said, yes, we are, go, now now go. Every step that he made, Paul made, was that way. And then Spencer had said to me before I went up, Jesus himself, was his calling was verified by John the Baptist right here here he is this is the one it wasn't just jesus on his own as a lone ranger no it was here is the church saying yes this is who it is and and that's what we just see in in romans i always forget what chapter it is what chapter is in romans is it five or ten the one where how are they going to hear unless they are sent ten Ten, yeah um it's the church sending even preachers out verifying this is a person who preaches the word of god and we we say that this is true this is, God is this calling in their life. You just don't see in Scripture places where callings happen without the church verifying it. And I'm always hesitant when someone comes to me and they're saying, I just know God has really called me to, bam, without any good follow-up of who's verifying this, what what church has your back in this area. And and I think this is a, a symptom of the overcorrection. Mm-hmm of the priesthood of believers where people just think, no, I'm just a special person. God has called me. I'm only going to talk to people in Newport, Michigan. That's my special spot. And that's how it is. Mm. And you can never argue with that person or even have a discussion with them because they would normally go to the fact of who are you to tell me what God has told me? It's like, well, actually God has given us a system to do this, but you don't want to Mm -hmm. follow that. So Mm -hmm. um, any thoughts on that soapbox that you can pick out from under me? I think one of the big things is, is what we're seeing there is, um, there's a general trend whereby um, we as Christians, particularly maybe we struggle with this in our own tradition a lot, is we have such an emphasis on the inward that we think... Um, the what word? The inward. Inward. I thought you said N-word, and I thought this is going in a direction I wasn't expecting. Oh, I don't listen to that kind of music. Yeah, I was. <laughs> okay, that's not what I meant. I heard you. I meant inside heard. the inward, the inner <laughs> feelings and beings of our of our hearts, that we struggle whenever we think about religion being something um, that actually starts outside of us and moves inside. So, um, 
whenever it comes to callings, then we often think, well, how do I, first of all, if someone says, well, how do I know I'm called here? Well, we, we, first of all, that person, first of all, usually thinks about their internal desires first and foremost, but that's not the way calling starts. I mean, whenever we are called to salvation, the call to salvation doesn't start with our inward desires. It starts with a, a message of God in Christ saying, come to me, calling us, summoning us. Um, really, uh, really, the word calling in certain passages of the New Testament is basically a synonym for the word chosen, choosing, electing. And so when God calls you, he's choosing you. He's calling you to himself. He's selecting you. And uh, no, that can be for salvation or that can be for a specific purpose. And that calling always comes from outside of ourselves. It always, it doesn't originate within me. And so like even 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Now, that doesn't mean that your desires and what you might want to do don't have any part to play in this, but the preeminent place is outside of you. So, for instance, yeah, so he says, when we finish that verse, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. So God calls you, the Lord assigns you your callings. This is my rule in all the churches. So, for instance, instead of, um, whenever I think about it this way, and I can use this as my example, as a as somebody who um, is in pastoral ministry, I was interested in pastoral ministry, but I was never called to pastoral ministry until a local church actually voted and called me to be their pastor. Mm-hmm. Now I could prepare myself, I could pursue things, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's very intelligent. Now I will also say this. Right. So whenever I went first, let me say that. So why did I first go to seminary? Well, I was starting to become interested in theology. I was encouraged in it by my father, who happened at that time to also be my pastor. So I had received encouragement from my local church, my family, my wife, confirmation that, yeah, that looks like a good next step. Then whenever I went to seminary, I was still a part of a local church that further verified with my pastor and the elders there and the other believers, brothers and sisters there, further confirming to me, they were saying it to me, yes, you're, you're, you know, by them giving you opportunities and also the seminary community outside of me again, confirming that, yeah, we feel like this is generally where you're headed. But I wasn't actually called to be a pastor until a church called me to be their pastor. And at that moment, I was selected or chosen by the Lord to pastor that specific church, mm-hmm. my first church. And then later on, I was called and selected by God through the local body of believers, because that's how God works, right? Through our brothers and sisters um, in, an, in a local church to call us, select us, to say, yes, we, want, we, we believe that we are, you are called to be here. And I think that that is a much different way than the way people typically think of the word calling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They don't think of it that way, but I think that is a much safer way mm-hmm. to think about calling because also calling is always something primarily in the present tense. It's always, I am, uh, callings are things that we are called to do right now. You can't live your, I mean, you can, you can, you can try to prepare for future usefulness if, as the Lord gives you opportunity. 
But to the extent that you start to only live vicariously through some future calling that you don't have right now, um, uh, the, because so I think that's a helpful thing to, to really keep our feet on the ground right here and now. That's just some initial thoughts I have. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on with with that. And But what has to be present for a person to to live that way, I think, is there has to be an underlying base assumption that... As a, as a Christian, I am under the authority of the church, mm-hmm. and that's a good thing. Right. And I think that's what our society does not have. I'm a part of a priesthood. Yeah. Not simply a priest. I'm a part of a corporate yeah. priesthood, right? And and we all share this together. Yeah. So just the – I remember there was, um, there was a study that the youth did a couple years ago during our Spring into Action retreat, and it, it was all about authority, like the – which – what authority has God placed in our lives? Why is that authority good? We were talking about the authority of our parents, the authority of God over all of creation, but also the authority of the church. And that is not a popular thing to talk about. I mean, everybody understands the authority of parents. Everybody understands the authority of God over all creation. But when you bring in the idea of the authority of the church in your life, um, People start to rebel against that because maybe they think back to all the bad things the church has done. They think back to before the Reformation and all those things and just the idea of, well, why would I – what does that authority look like? A church authority has been abused. Um, But that's that's the piece that has to be there for what you're talking about, Spencer, to happen is the underlying assumption that it's actually God who institutes authority in our life. It's not – and it's actually good that there's a priesthood of all believers, not of one pope, to be that that is my one authority I have to listen to here, and then whatever he says goes. But no, there's actually a collective group of people who have all been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who collectively has the wisdom from God to make decisions that are good for me and for my family. Mm-hmm. And if they see a gift for preaching or for ministry, then yeah, I can listen to that or mm-hmm. to go be a missionary. But there's got to be the underlying assumption that God-ordained authority is good for me. Mm-hmm. It's good for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I just I think that's what you talking about, like our American culture, Tim. That's what we've lost. We Everything about our culture is rebellion against authority. We don't mm-hmm. like it. Yeah, yeah, and so it makes this stuff difficult, you know, but we can't avoid it because as we read, you know, in the sermon, we read 1 Corinthians 12 where we're talked about as a body the body of Christ with Jesus as the head. And it says, you know, I don't want to read the whole chapter, but I I did on Sunday morning, just the, I can't tell the foot, you know, I want to be the foot now. It doesn't work that way. And to me, one of the most telling verses in all that is verse 18, where, where it says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. And I think this is where we struggle because everybody feels special. Everybody feels special. Like, I have something special in my life. But that doesn't mean, like, I've been chosen by God and he loves me and I'm special because of that. No. It means I have a special task Mm -hmm. that nobody else is given. Mm -hmm. I am the modern-day Elijah. I am the modern-day Jeremiah. I'm the modern-day David. And that's how we start to think of ourselves. And what happens then is we don't actually get to fulfill the role that God has placed us because... We don't really care about it. And so when we're in the church and we're in a church family and it's a loving church family, they're pretty kind to each other. But all I'm doing is once in a while I'm making breakfast for the men on Saturday 
that's not enough. And I'm like, I don't have a real good purpose here. And so we struggle with that and we want more. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's this idea yeah. that that what you're doing isn't important, but you're forgetting as you serve breakfast to those guys at the men's breakfast, God is serving breakfast to all them Jesus and ministering to them. Jesus is doing that. Yeah, yeah. And what we almost forget is like, yeah, we're almost like, a, yeah, we would rather do anything, but because we don't, it's, at some level, it's almost like we don't think Jesus would be humble enough to serve breakfast mm-hmm. at the men's breakfast, or Jesus would be humble enough to go uh, plunge the toilet out. Yeah, Jesus but, would be <laughs> the one teaching, you know. Jesus, right, be, and yeah. it's like, well, yeah, but Jesus did show us, you know, mm-hmm. he was going to wash their feet, and this is what we yeah, do that for was each shocking. other. Yeah, and and so we need to serve each other, and I'm thankful that we have a lot of people in this church. When you talk to them, yeah. they are very humble. Right? They 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 don't want the spotlight. They just I just want to serve God. And sometimes there's people where it's like, I think God is giving you a little spotlight, and they're like, No, I don't want to do it. And that would be probably their sinful thing is I'm not going to do that. I mean, it's like, Yeah, but God's given you these gifts and these abilities. You should be teaching. You you need to be doing this, mm-hmm. and you have to kind of urge them. But I'm thankful for those people because they see value in what they are doing in the church, although a lot of people don't see it or understand it or know it, they're serving the body so well. And so many people in our church don't understand that the reason they get to sit in the pews and come on Sunday morning is because of people within our church who throughout the week have come in and fixed the windows and painted this, you know, and worked on the sound or edited this stuff or videotaped this. People don't even know all those that goes into until there's a problem. Right. And then when there's a problem, it's like, why isn't this happening? Yeah. You know, but we do. I'm, and I'm mm-hmm. thankful that we have so many people in our church who are happy to be a part of the body of Christ and just do what, whatever they can. Right. Well, and I think tying into this is an attitude that um, is, is fascinating that Paul connects it, talks about this in Romans chapter 12 when talking about the idea of the body and members again. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Mm -hmm. For as in one body, we have many members. So one of the tendencies we have, if we're not willing to live within the assignments that God gives us, is we will think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's one of the things I, I actually really like about working with you guys is the fact that, um, we keep you humble. You keep, you do. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, um, and I think that that's, that's helpful because if we were all thinking, well, I'm, I'm just a priest and not part of a priesthood, we would be typically thinking too much of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so, but whenever I do my part and you do your part as the Lord is assigned, then I realize I need you and you need me. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that's a helpful um, we don't we don't often think about that, but I think what you're talking about when people say, "Well, I've only been called to do this and this and this," and, and it's just because I know the Lord's directly called me. You're, you you might be guilty of this, mm-hmm. thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think, and you're not thinking with sober judgment. Yeah, and go ahead. I would say too with that though is that I can think of plenty of situations where a young man or young woman might come to me and say, I really want to be a missionary. Mm -hmm. And I would have to say to them at that time, I don't think you're ready to be a missionary, but I think you could be. Sure. Sure. Right. There is preparation and training. Yeah. Yeah. So just because you're not called to this right now, like, and so the idea of like called in terms of a future 
you know reality of that happening just because you're not ready for this right now doesn't mean that there's not training that can't happen mm-hmm. learning that can't happen right spiritual growth and repentance that can't happen to where you're not fit for this right now but you you can be fit for it later like i think it's in either first or second timothy where paul is instructing timothy that if anyone would cleanse themselves of what is impure they'll be made a vessel for honorable use within the house and so i think there's we're still meaning that there's just because you can't do something now or shouldn't do something now doesn't mean you can't do it in the future mm-hmm. right yeah and i still think that that would have um be verified usually by your church Absolutely. and people around you because yeah. like in that instance if it's a teenager you know and they're a, they're a sophomore let's say in high school and uh, they're sharing. I just, I think God is pushing me to be a missionary, right? I think what will happen is the church family would say, I think that's a good thing for you to pursue because we could see that. Same with like probably your parents would be a good people to talk to, yeah. you know, some friends. And it starts to get verified like, yeah, we could definitely see this. And so you're not a missionary yet per se, but yeah, maybe you should go to this school then and start training for it. You know, maybe you should do this. And then down the road, who knows, when you're 21, 22, all of a sudden you find yourself, you are a full-time missionary somewhere or mm-hmm. or you're doing a summer somewhere to see, right? And again, that's all verified, though, by your church family who's saying, yes, I, I see this in you, right? As opposed to if, if there was a student and you're like, I just, I don't see that. I don't see that in you. Um that's not a church trying to squash a dream. Mm-hmm. It's a church trying to love you well, yeah, right? Trying to save you from a lot of pain yeah, and heartache. Trying to save you to say, I just like your dad. That, that example you gave of your dad. Oh yeah, telling yeah, you yeah. that you're not going to go into the NBA because you're only five ten. Right. That was an act of love. Yeah, he was just being honest, right? He's saying, I love that you have a dream, but let's mm-hmm. be honest. I mean, what percentage makes it to the NBA? Not not very many. There's a lot of skill involved. There's also a lot of luck involved, and so. My dad didn't say, you know what, because of that, no basketball for you anymore. That mm-hmm. wasn't it. Yeah, I yeah. could still play. Right. I was right. still allowed to pursue pursue that dream and play. But at the same time, it's like, maybe you should uh, think about another career as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's just wisdom yeah. that maybe I didn't want to hear at the moment, but it was just it was just wise words. And I've just found, personally, as, as a pastor in churches where people do come to me and say, I think I'm going to be, I think I want to be a pastor of this. I, it very rarely has it ever been taken well when I'm like, I just, I don't see that. The response usually is, and they don't say it right to your face this way, but is, who are you to tell me this? Mm-hmm. This is something God's been telling me in my prayer life and this, and it's like, I actually am somebody to say this. The church, It's the church's job to mm-hmm. verify this, and I wouldn't be comfortable as the church verifying this because I don't think this is the right thing right now. Part of the problem, too, is is if you follow that, and and you see this sometimes, is... If you follow that that uh, that I'm going to use the word logic, but like you know, you how, how dare you question my inward call? Then what do you do if uh, a young woman, yeah, I know, who is intelligent, mm-hmm. who is actually a very good public speaker, goes to college and you know gets a a degree in ministry and says, "I am called to be a pastor." What do you say to her? That's what I'm saying. I mean, right? Because right. we would say, I mean, I know everybody, in our, I know scripture. people in our church would, yeah, we would, would agree with us and say the scripture to say this or that. Right? Obviously, you're not called to that because the mm-hmm. Bible says yeah. you're not called to that. But the, our culture and many people would say, "Well, how dare you question my calling? Mm-hmm. The Lord's yeah. told me I'm called to this." Yeah. In case in point, like with Acts 13. So here we have a situation where where Barnabas and Saul, before his name was changed, or mm-hmm. yeah, before mm-hmm. Paul. 
you know, they, they there's a lot of participles used in that, which means ongoing present tense verbs. So they were praying, they were fasting, they were just being faithful, they were teaching. And then it says the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. So they're doing regular faithful work in, in the local church. And then the Spirit of God intervened and made it clear that they were set apart to go from Antioch to Derby and Lystra to do mission work. And so there you have a, a case in point as far as like uh, um, the Spirit of God selecting and choosing to whom he desired to go, and then the church verifying that, because even after that, participles are used, and they continue to pray and fast, and uh, and then as they did that, then they then they were sent off. Mm-hmm. So that that kind of works. It's like both what's happening is God is, is doing the selecting. Remember, Jesus said to the disciples, I, remember, you didn't choose me, I chose you, right? So the Holy Spirit's doing the selecting, and the church is verifying it through their faithfulness and through just doing ongoing regular ministry, weekly ministry, and it's it's kind of a win-win situation. And then they're sent off, and then what did Paul do as a model as he started churches? He would then send people to check on him, report back, you know, and, and write letters and so forth, so... There we see exactly what we're saying. You know, it has to be verified. It has to be, the authority has to be there. The Spirit of God is working. The church is being the body of Christ. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it'd be interesting to know there in Acts 13, like it says, and the Holy Spirit said, you know, set apart me. But what did that look like? You know, did, yeah. was it all of a sudden a voice? It doesn't necessarily say that. It could have been God just working through the church. We're saying the Holy Spirit's definitely leading the two of you yeah. to do this. Through prayer. So and go so and do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. This is obvious as we watch you, as we observe you. Um, and so, yeah, it, again, it, it's just verified. And mm-hmm. and something, too, there, I mean, as we're on the subject, Paul and Barnabas were not just brand-new Christians. No, they have been right. teaching for— They had been involved in ministry for mm-hmm. a long time yeah, Paul by that point. Yeah, Paul got trained for a couple of years. In Antioch, yeah. yeah, he was teaching. They, Yeah, they, mm-hmm. were, they were there at Antioch teaching for over a year. Mm-hmm. And so they weren't just brand-new Christians with, with no experience in ministry or, any, or teaching or anything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And so, like, they— it, they were set apart for this while they were already doing that exactly. work. Yeah, and I think I, I get stuck on this. I want to move on, but I get stuck on this because, sadly, I've seen people come into this church, like in their 20s or something like that, and God has saved them. That, that's what they say. They say they've trusted in God, and they start to get involved in the church a little bit, and the next thing you know, they disappear, and I, I see them down the road, and I'm like, what you know, what's going on? And, and they, they act as if they have this elevated status where it's like, you guys weren't doing enough for me. I'm now on TikTok and I'm preaching on TikTok. And they're like, I've seen this, I've seen this a few times, so I mentioned it. They're in their car in their driver's seat talking about the word of God and what the Holy Ghost has said to them, and they have a special word, and it's just like so often it's like you are in the wilderness, man. You're in the wilderness with no help, and you think mm-hmm. you have this sight, and you're in such a dangerous spot. And and inevitably, most of them, all of them that I can think of, are not in the faith anymore. Or if they are, they're very they're very wayward and to the side. And it's because they failed to see the protection of what God has set up for them, of being a part of the body of Christ. You know, they would say, well, I'm a part of the body of Christ, the universal. It's like, God set us up this up for local churches. We, we see that all over, as you were saying, Dave. And Paul did this. It was so common mm-hmm. in how we need each other uh, to protect us. And so when we read these passages about being the body of Christ, we do think about what we can do, but I think we also need to think about the protection that God has set up for us having the body of Christ, you know, that, that is there, the safety that is there, the help, you know, that is there, you know, like, for example, if my calf itches, I can't 
use my calf to itch my calf. I got to use my hand to itch my calf. I got to grab my other foot, my other foot and rub my calf or something like that. And so is your calf itching? You mean help you? No, I'm good. Got I got it. it. Okay. My body can do it. So okay. stay over there with your body. Okay. <laughs> uh, but we, we help each other and we, and we need each other in these spots is what, is what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. And so yes, together we can do a lot. Mm-hmm. We can serve a lot, but we also can comfort each other and be there for each other. And, and when you get away from that, to me, like I said, you're just, you're just in the wilderness. You're out there lost with, and, and alone, and that's a scary. That's a scary spot to be in. And I do think it's sad. Again, people will appeal to like Dietrich Bonhoeffer's of the world and feel like, like his family didn't want him to go into this. They wanted him to do this. And look, he just kept going because he knew this. It's like, okay, that's one example of billions, right? <laughs> of billions. Again, you're saying you're like this special thing. It's like this isn't how God normally works. There's normal means by which He works. Because we could talk about the millions and millions of faithful pastors who were called by their church or missionaries who were sent out by their church and affirmed in their calling to go do what they were doing. Uh, and again, this is how God has this is how God has set it up. And the fact is, like verse 18 says, he set it up purposefully. And for most of us, most of us, we will not be pastors. Most of us will not be teachers. Most of us will not be missionaries. Most of us will not be counselors. Most of us will be church members who we might teach Sunday school, we might help at events, we might visit fellow members, we might make meals for somebody else, we might love our family well, all right? we might be faithful to come to church every Sunday, and we come on Wednesdays. This is going to be the common thing for most church members. Yeah, I mean, I, I will push back against that, but just in a in a way, yeah. when you say not not. Most of us will not be teachers. Most of us will not be counselors. Okay. I actually think most of us will be, but we're not going to have the title. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I just yeah. I say that because I don't want to downgrade the regular ministry of just being a friend to someone in the church uh, that just needs encouragement. Yeah. That's a counselor, and but you're doing it from a place where Christ is your foundation. Every parent in the church is a teacher. To their children and so in that way you are a teacher you know every every you know you're going to have mm-hmm. other opportunities within the church body to to lead at times sure and so like you're not going to have the if you want to call it an elevated position of of a title of being a pastor or a missionary but don't don't downgrade your the ministry that you have been given as a counselor as a teacher as an evangelist in those ways that are that are normal because you have those um you know you could bring up another topic of how i like there's the growing number or um the the issue going through right now with with uh women pastors of just saying like we're gifted for this we want this ministry of you many of you already have a ministry but you're not seeing it as a valuable ministry that it actually is that god says it is um so I just don't want to downgrade the regular, ordinary ministry of, of people to other people in the church Yeah, that is teaching, that is counseling Absolutely. in that way. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And that's what we were talking about, right? And this is how Christ serves us. Christ does serve us. So the moms, Christ is serving your children as you care for them. Same with the dads. Christ is serving your family as you, as you serve your family. It's Christ in you serving your family, loving your family and caring for your family within the church. This is how Christ serves us. And so 
it then it does then become important for us to to do those things to serve right again i'm not saying there's not other ways that god could do it he can but these are the means by which you do it and something is missing when you don't attend or when you're not here or when you're not uh you know serving in ways that god has allowed you to be able to to serve and so i i hope that people see that as encouraging i know it does for me where i might think something is very minimal and not that important but God saw it to be important enough that he's allowed me to do it and to have a part in this and in it to be useful and so I shouldn't I shouldn't minimize it you know and my mind goes to a lot of <laughs> my mind goes to a lot of sports analogies of of how this plays out on on sports teams but you know when you when you have a sports team everything being done is important and sometimes sometimes there's a guy who's just simply uh like I just need you over there because somebody has to know you're over there and it'll get them a little out of the way. You know, and it's like, well, what am I doing over there? I just need you to stand there. That's it. I need you to stand there because it will draw this person over there and it will help what's happening on the other side of the floor. Well, that person inevitably is like, this is stupid. It's like, it's not stupid. It's very important because if you don't do that, we won't score. Mm -hmm. But if you do that, we have a higher likelihood of scoring, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, that's how it can be in the church. It's like you, you think what you're doing isn't that important, but that's why I said for us as pastors, for me specifically, people just sitting there on Sunday morning is huge for me. That's big. That's a big deal to If you want to minister to your pastor, come on Sunday because that's big for me to see you there, that you care enough to come to church, this church family and to listen as I get to preach the word of God, right? That's, that's big or, or to a fellowship to see people come is a big deal. Right, we have trunk or treat coming up. We were very concerned, very few cars. Well, now to see we have almost 50 people. For us in here in this room around this table, that's a big deal to us. You've ministered to us by coming and participating in this already. And and that's whatever that means to you. To me, to me it means a lot, right? Uh, and so, yeah, what Scott was saying, we can't downplay uh, what's being done. So this was the first analogy that I wanted to pull from scripture, uh, the, the, uh, body of Christ next week. Uh, I want to get to the other one being the family of God that we're called to be as a church and what that means and what that looks like and how Jesus serves us through, through the family, uh, dynamic of being a church. So we'll, we'll look at that this, uh, this coming Sunday. So hopefully we'll be able to see you, uh, this coming Sunday, uh, Lord willing, as we go over this, hopefully you have some time to study this uh, and to be in the Word of God and to think more about how God blesses uh, your family, uh, blesses your church family as well. Uh, and so hopefully hopefully it's encouraging. Hopefully we're all learning some things uh, together. So again, look forward to seeing this coming Sunday. Uh, but until then, we hope that you have a, a great week. God bless.